0: In the lead-up to the Genesis Foundation's 20th anniversary this year, the Artistic Minds podcast of 20 episodes brings together leading figures in the world of arts, culture, including theatre, visual art and classical music. Through the Genesis Music Theatre programme, the Genesis Foundation has supported artists at the National Theatre as they develop bold, accessible new forms of British music theatre, the focus of this episode. Rufus Norris is Artistic Director of the National Theatre and has overseen a number of highly successful musicals, both established works like Stephen Sondheim's Follies, as well as new pieces like London Road, Wonder.Land and Pericles. In this episode, he's joined by his colleague Nina Steiger, Head of Play Development at the National Theatre. Recorded during lockdown, they spoke via video call.
1: I wondered if maybe the place to start for this conversation was first of all talking about What kind of ideas and stories you feel leap into life as a musical the most effectively? What do you look for in a story that suggests to you it might make a good musical?
2: I don't know. It's a very, very broad question, isn't it? And in a way, the thing which persuades me whenever we're sitting down with composers and writers is their passion for it. That's always the first question. Why is this a musical? Why are these people singing rather than speaking? What is the nature of the heat, I suppose, in the story that, that really lends itself to that kind of heightening. And then it is their, their eloquence and passion in answering that which sort of answers the question uh, to a degree. It's tricky, musicals are, are often adaptations. I mean, we have done completely new musicals, but I- even then they tend to be adaptations of ideas that, that are already partly formed. And in the case of an adaptation, you've got to go, why this medium? Why, 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 does, the, why does the creator of this, whether it's a, a fairy story or a book or a film or a, a play or a, a load of verbatim material, why does the creative source of that want it to be done in this way? I, I could put the same question to you. What do you look for?
1: A few of the musicals we've done since I joined the National—I mean, they're they're very close to my heart. And sometimes, if I should hear the songs from *Pericles* or *Hades Town* or Pacifist Guide to a War on Cancer*, I can go right back to the difficulty of bringing the scenes to life through music—the challenge, the complexity, the reward, the emotions on the day of hearing suddenly a sweep of storytelling get kind of pulled across time, kind of in song. But when I deal, you know, most of the time when when an artist comes through the doors of the studio, they're still talking in words to me rather than songs or, you know, sometimes they can capture the feel of what, what this is going to feel like to listen to. But usually they're telling a story and they think of music as the part of the story that can't be expressed in any other way. So there's a character, let's say, on a journey or two worlds that can't be bridged, and only the songs can put those things together. It kind of often holds the mystery bit of the story, whether it's, you know, in some examples, it's the mental illness, or complex mathematics, or, you know, in something like, you know, let's say Hamilton, not that that was pitched, but, you know, it's that fluidity between the past and the present. And, uh, you know, I think about how music sometimes covers for just the the drudgery of everyday conversation when set to music it kind of it elevates so i think the thing i'm always looking for is an ability to say let's say i was pitching it to you upwards to you rufus i would want to be able to say in a sentence what the music is doing for the story and what the story is doing for the music
2: it's difficult isn't it there's so much so much theory about musical theater that, you know, it's easy to get bogged down in painting by numbers. But I guess for me there's, just to dig into what you're saying a little bit further, there's a couple of key sort of touchstones. One is, long, long time ago, my my kind of job to get through the week and pay the rent was to teach opera singers how to act. And every year we do a session where I'd come together with the person who was teaching them how to sing and the person who was teaching them how to move. And we'd do a kind of uh, tagging session And and I remember one time the the singing teacher said, and I think she might have been using Dido and Aeneas, but let's say, you know, any great opera composer will will have a section of recit. You know, people are talking. uh, Someone's talking, saying, oh, it's really bad. My dog died. You know, my kids have all become delinquent. My husband left me. And then there's 16 bars of music after the recit's finished, and then we go into the aria, which is... I'm going to kill myself, I'm going to kill myself, Ah, I'm going to kill myself. And you say the same phrase lots and lots of times. That's kind of diluting it down in a, in, a, in a cartoon way. But what's really interesting is that 16 bars, that this is what the person needs to do to compute what has happened to them and lift off, elevate in the way that you're talking about to the point where their conclusion has to be sung, uh, that speaking simply isn't enough. And there's something else that I, I'm always interested in, which is the idea of form from content. If you're talking about complex mathematics, I already know what that music needs. It just has to sound like, you know, we, we know what, you know, maths and music are so, they're, they're art forms that are intricately connected. You can hear the vocal promise when somebody says, look, this is about a maths genius, or this is about somebody trying to understand really complex auditing, you know, which you might go, okay, that's the world's most boring idea. But if you think about it in terms of the musical, of course it's not because then you go, okay, now now I'm gonna, I'm gonna believe you that maths is an art form in this way. And you're right, it can be somebody can be bored or they can be taking drugs or they can be uh, depressed or they can be elated through love, which is of course the, the one that uh, most go for. But then each one of them in the, in the context of that story, there's something about the content which might give you a way into form. You know, and there are lots of examples if somebody represents order. I'm thinking that, you know, there's, there's this song in, in Company by Sondheim where the first part of it is the minister singing, Bless this day, husband joined to wife. Da, da, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one, two, three. And it's very, very four square. And we represent the church and marriage and the institution and then the, the man who's gonna get married t- sings, today is for Amy, but he goes, Today is for Amy. So he's doing a ninth. So he's really stretching, he's reaching beyond himself, and you know that he's kind of just trying a little bit too hard <laughs> within this four-square. Here's the sanctity of marriage, and there's a guy there who's just working a bit. And then it comes to Amy, his partner, and she's going, digga digga, digga digga, digga digga, digga digga, and and it's uh yeah, you know, thanks very much, but I'm not getting married. And it's her heartbeat that is racing with nervousness about, and what he's doing in three really simple moves is going, this person is overreaching, this is the four square nature of the institution of marriage, and this is somebody who's desperately nervous about it. And you know, the song is almost writing itself and it's very, very successful. That's really exciting when you you hear a composer or, or writer really start to understand how they're going to turn the material into a musical because of the material itself.
1: Just hearing you kind of like sing and use some technical musical terms and so on, it made me wonder, do you think it's important to have a background or a basis or an affinity experience in music yourself when you are bringing artists to the form?
2: You know, it's very easy to think of art as being this kind of holy or mystical process. And of course, any of us involved in it know that it's 98% 98% craft or certainly a, there's a big part of it which is hard work and doing the same thing enough times that you get good at it so I would say in our experience you know the, the musicals that you mentioned Hadestown, A Pericles, Pacifist Guide also Wonder Dot Land, Mr Gum I think they're the five new musicals that we've done what we're learning is that it's a really really good idea to have somebody in the process who really does know what that process is but almost more importantly everybody in the process needs to know what they don't know it doesn't mean that you have to make a musical in the style of hello dolly or you know sweeney todd or whatever it is but it's a good idea to know what those people did because then you understand the kind of windmill that you're that you're tilting at. i I think it's probably not too much of a generalization to say that in this country we tend to patronize it a bit we're a literary culture You know, anyone who isn't Shakespeare, "Mm, it's a bit meh, which is why our West End is consequently filled with American musicals, because they take the form seriously. There's a lot to learn. So I also think within what we're trying to do here and within every team, there needs to be a willingness to really respect the fact that this form is very, very difficult and there's a lot of learned craft already around it.
1: So one of the things that we do, through the Genesis support, we did bring playwrights to the studio and expose them to absolutely kind of seminal examples from the canon of musicals across, you know, American musicals generally across the last 50, 60 years. And try and give a kind of an intro to the art form and a sense of what are the ways that they use the tools to do what they're doing and how you can begin to apply those to your work. I guess I kind of wonder, how does that relate for you to what we're doing with straight plays as well? What is the relationship between the canon and the tradition and making new stories in new ways just across the stages
2: well, in a way, I kind of, I'm sort of more interested to hear your answer to that because you're at the rock face of the actual dramaturgy. I mean, it seems to me, again, if you're writing a play, it's a really good idea to understand to what degree you are adhering to narrative tropes or structural tropes. doesn't mean you have to adhere to them, but it's quite good to know what, what you're working in reaction to or against. I mean, obviously, the uniqueness of the voice is primary you know one in particular the, the literary manager of the royal court where i first was taught to respect writers i guess uh, he would say you could pick up a, a play and in a page you could you could understand straight away whether this person has a unique voice i mean i'm i'm not sure about that i certainly uh, could, could never sit down and do anything other than read the whole play i wouldn't trust my instincts that strongly but beyond that you do want to see how there are certain key narrative lines through that Aristotle had a go at and everybody since and and uh, you know, Chekhov isn't Chekhov by accident. You know, he knew what he was writing and 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 I think it's very interesting often when you look at the the writers in our canon who have been incredibly prolific, uh they are mostly white men, I would say. But if you look at their back catalogue, often there's a lot of adaptation of classics in there. And this is partly how you learn your craft. You know, I can remember sitting in a rehearsal room with David Hare and him giving me a point, but you know, this this moment here, Rufus, why don't you try directing it in this way, very quietly without the actors hearing. So I pretended it was my idea and uh, redirected the scene in a certain way and lo and behold, it, it came to life. And afterwards he said, that's Brecht. And of course he knows that that's Brecht because he's adapted most of them. I just use it as an example of the value of understanding what the bones of our literary culture are all about. But if I was if I was to give you a straight question, how does developing a play differ from a musical or how does rather developing a musical differ from a play rather than what they've got in common? uh, How would you answer that?
1: You know, I guess one of the things I look for in a play isn't so much for the writer to tell us what's going to happen, but sometimes just to indicate that there's a seam, there's like a slit through which the other collaborators who are making this show are going to also join the storytelling, whether through design or the thing that makes it a live event and that makes it more than people sort of standing up and talking out of the side of their heads and having an argument in uh, at the sofa. How does the place reach out from the stage and connect to an audience and make the experience of going to see it a thing that matters now? I think for me that's the same whether it's Three Sisters it's the same if it's Hamlet it's that moment that's what I read for and look for is that there's this recipe in the script for the live event and starting to see the the moments where that live event is going to speak to its audience and something real is going to happen. And I guess, you know, the songs often stand in, I suppose, in a musical, suggesting that they will they will happen and they will create feelings and emotions. But I guess one of the things I look for in a script is where... It tells you that something more than just the story of people talking on stage is happening. Either they're in a political context because of what they're fighting over and the time that they're living in, or the accumulation of all of their emotion and trauma and feeling and desire adds up to something. And I feel that, like, you know, on our stages, I see that a lot in Alex Seldon's work things add up to more than what you thought they might be because of all the accumulated energy and this moment where there's just a slight pivot and a consciousness of the meaning of, of the story. It's hard to note that to a playwright and say, so where's that bit where you're going to tell us, you know, allow it to be more than what's just happening right there. For me, that's what I, I find I I'm trained my eye to look for is where the story and what it stands for, kind of just glance off of each other. I guess that's a slight difference, because I, I, guess, I guess in a musical it tells you <laughs> that the songs are a good hint that something is going to shift gear.
2: Uh, I'm going to switch it a bit. How much do you think, in your experience so far, the songs need to carry the story?
1: Well, I find that one of the things that disappoints me if the story's still the same when the song's over... I think that the ground should have changed by the end of a song. Either the character knows more, their consciousness has shifted, or the audience has. They've had something told to them. The character hasn't shifted. They've told they they just are where they were at the beginning, but the audience has moved on. Their understanding of what's happening has changed. But sometimes I feel like a less successful song maybe just does that exposition and nothing's really different by the end. That's often a sign that something more needs to happen. I don't know if you, if you, have, if you share
2: that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's person is way. I'm in the middle of working on a musical at the moment. It's really difficult if you go, okay, the classic form would suggest that the chorus of the song has to be exactly the same. And each time you come back to it, it means something different. It's partly talking to this point that you are saying about it, it refracting or so that by the end you get to the final chorus, it's the same words that you had at the first one yeah. but because of where the verse has taken us or whatever or the, or the, 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 the kind of realisation or the, the growing whatever it is that the character's going through it means something completely different and that's a fantastic discipline to go no, no, you can't change the words it's just got to mean something else so, yeah. the, so the words themselves cannot be too prescriptive or simply you know, expositional
1: and and we did this a lot, actually, in the dramaturgy of the songs in Pericles, how a little musical flourish can be repeated and mean a different thing and actually do a huge amount of exposition for you, whether it's just that, you know, oh, Pericles, you know, and you hear it over and over. And it's like it starts from being a scolding of this incorrigible young prince. And it takes on his royalty and his journey, and it's his anthem. But there are little motifs that he would carry with him, and you'd hear them in different ways as he grew up and start to understand where he'd been, where he was going, what he was, you know, sort of destined to become. But I I think that it's sometimes through lyrics and sometimes just through how things are played and, and played through and held up. You can do a lot through those repetitions, as you say.
2: I'd like to move us on if we can. I, I know one thing that I hear myself saying frequently is that creating a new musical is the most difficult. In In all the work that we do, that is the most difficult. And people who've been round up houses with it say musicals aren't written, they're rewritten. That it just it needs layers and layers and layers. Why do you think that is? Why is it so hard?
1: It's funny. I guess for me, it's one of the questions is sort of where do where do writers' ideas come from? or But putting that another way, it's like, why, when a writer only has one play in them, why is there only one play in them? If you can do it once, why can't you do it over and over? Where does inspiration come from? And I suppose that the question about musicals is... There's so many different requirements in terms of the support and development. I think that's quite hard and not everything comes together all at the right time. I think it's like a dovetailing of a huge amount of creative process and many different voices and strands and skills. I, I think that's one of the reasons. Why, why do you say it?
2: <laughs> Music bypasses the, the brain in a way, doesn't it? It affects you in the gut. So there's a, there's an added other dimension that just seems to require working and working and i suppose in the simplest terms you've you've got many more cooks you know with a with a play in a kind of the old-fashioned thing where you, you you receive and it does we know it happens sometimes that somebody will deliver a play and we go okay you know, we we had a play that came in Downstate by Bruce Norris, and, and we read it, and we said, OK, well, we're just doing that play, and that's all there is to it. And I don't know if a word changed, probably a word or two did, but it was just there. He wrote it, and it was complete. If you're writing a musical, you've got the original story, you've got the book writer, you've got the lyricist. Maybe the book writer is the lyricist, or maybe the composer's the lyricist. So that relationship between the book writer and the composer or maybe it's a three-way one, is really key, then the MD comes up, the whole music team around it is really, really complex. The supervisor, what do they do? They can. The person who's doing the arrangements can completely transform how a musical feels. And as we know, choreography is a really, really key part of it. That's not even talking about the director and what the different actors bring to it. It just feels like it's a multi-headed beast somehow. And it's something that also seems to need to be discovered on its feet. You know, with a play, you can you can read it, and if you know what you're reading, you can go, okay, this is just going to work. You don't even need to do a read through; just get on with it. Now, some plays that isn't true of, but if you're doing an adaptation, usually that I've found, and I've done a lot of adaptations, that needs more process because again, you've got this marriage of the writer and the adapter, you know, that needs to be really worked through. One of the um, kind of cliches about making musicals is we need another workshop. What do you think happens in a workshop?
1: So what practically happens is that the writer comes in, the composer comes in, a person who catalyzes the relationship between those two people kind of comes in. Sometimes it will be to teach songs to singers and actors. Uh, Sometimes it will be to like, nut out the gears that are grinding between the book and the, and the music and the lyrics at, at times. And across a week, each strand of what makes up this musical gets sort of sketched, then pencil drawn, then kind of almost like the analogy would be kind of whispered, spoken, and then said aloud to a room where people are listening. And, you know, at the studio, one of the things we try to do is articulate what the purpose of a workshop might be. We try and say it, you know, simply, we're here to, you know, hear it straight through to find out if the story is strong enough to investigate three or four of the songs. How that's actually done is usually by putting it out in its sort of roughness on the table and then walking around it, prodding it, and making a kind of hypothesis about what it could be if it was all working really well and really well together. And the trouble is that sometimes things don't develop in exactly the same way. So let's say the book or the narrative might develop more strongly or quickly or in one direction and not perhaps compatibly with the music. But the purpose is to kind of stand it on its feet And usually there's people listening. So it becomes slightly performative because someone is listening. It doesn't really matter how many people are there. Something happens by the end of the week and it's proposed as a live performance. And we all then kind of collectively imagine what it might mean if everything moved in the right direction what could this be? And we then start very quickly working out the algorithm to hedge how long and how much money and how much time and how much resource would it take to get it there. That's the best case when you really feel that there's magic about it. And goodness knows, there's plenty of projects that we've workshopped that have been ones that have gotten away, or they just they fall just ever so slightly short. They sound fantastic on paper, but something happens in the in the exploration that lets you know this isn't the moment to put the amount of muscle and resource behind it.
2: And do you think you know when something in the end, when you get to the point where you just think, however much time and energy and heart and blood and guts we've invested in this, this feather is just not gonna come off the ground. Have you been in that situation often?
1: I definitely have, but I've also been very aware, I'm sure you too, when it is gonna come off the ground, just not with us. You know, what does it take for something that's quite good and could be an absolutely banging kind of little underground musical, or in the right venue, this would soar. But even if it went on in the Dorfman, it wouldn't be the truest expression of what this idea wants to be.
2: And it's interesting, you know, if I think back to, I mean, we've all seen the video of Lin-Manuel Miranda doing the first opening number of Hamilton before it was even going to be a musical to Barack Obama but I saw I think the fourth or fifth preview of Hamilton at uh, the public theater 200 220 seats we don't have that and that's Hamilton and and you know it, even if you track through a musical like Hades Town you know we we know what that that went on to win all the tonys and you know I'm sure when covid passes will continue its sold out run When it came to us, it was already the third iteration of that show. And I wouldn't say we were an out-of-town tryout. With all the focus that comes to a show here, it was very, very good that they they already had an incredibly clear idea about what they were going to try to achieve in this iteration of it because they'd already had a couple of goes in a not-profit off-Broadway theatre and then in Edmonton, slightly bigger, and then they came here and then they finally get the, you know, it's... uh, most of those big shows have been on a long, long journey.
1: And so many shows that are so great don't quite make it. I mean, I hold really dear to my heart a workshop. I was part of uh, p- producing at New York Stage and Film 20 years ago. I still... I have this bootleg demo from that workshop. It's one of my favorite things to listen to. I eventually had to get it burned onto a CD because the cassette was so faulty. And it never happened. It never came off. And it was this, something that among us was like this cult, almost incredible story. And I mean, it's one of obviously hundreds and hundreds and, you know, certainly of shows that you've developed, Rufus. I'm sure there are many that you, you know, it's hard to wonder what what would it have taken you know what what was the missing ingredient
2: it's an interesting thing, isn't it because I, I think if you're coming at musicals from a drama perspective or a literary perspective, music has a sort of i mean it's something else that's that's proper alchemy to be able yeah. to write songs and yet when i've worked with Songwriters, people, people who are just you know, and I'm lucky in that I've worked with several, you know, international songwriters, and you know when I've worked with them on stuff and and you you end up with a song and you think I, I think it's absolutely beautiful and somehow it doesn't make its way into the into the show or into the film, and you go okay this isn't you know we're we're at the point where we have to ditch that and uh, and I feel very embarrassed about it. The songwriters are invariably oh, no, Don't worry, I'll just do another one. You know it just goes in the bottom drawer and the bottom drawer is a very full bottom drawer, but actually sometimes things come out of the bottom drawer as well that uh, you know that can be recycled. so so again it's a, it's it's partly a a craft thing, isn't it that, that that that's what they do. they can they can churn churn more out it's it's a It's a difficult moment though, when you have to effectively kill a song and say, what we need to get covered in this period of the show remains the same. But this isn't doing it, so let's let somehow start again. Partly what the workshop is about is just to hone in on on a part of it, in the knowledge that all of it needs to be kind of turned over and, and honed so much. In a way, it's been revolutionary for us in terms of thinking about musicals at the National Theatre that, uh, that Genesis has given us the support because it really enables us to think long term, and that's what has to happen, you know. As you say, first of all, all of us just getting a bit more educated about what this form is and then start to build our own structure of how to develop the work. It, it's a really long-term game.
1: Is, is the way we work going to change now, post-crisis, post-COVID, how we bring our teams together, what you'd like to see on our slate, what kinds of stories you'd like music to be involved in and holding? I mean, have your ambitions and hopes for the kinds of big scale music work we're making have have they changed at all
2: you know it's hard to say because we're still very much in the middle of it i think we've all got little people on our shoulders saying you're lazy or you know you're stupid or whatever it is and mine often says you're a coward in that you're not bold enough in going you know actually if i think about the piece of work Certainly one of the two or three pieces of work in my career that I've been most proud of, it would be London Road. And whoever thought that could be a musical? I mean, that just can't be a musical. It's not possible. How would that possibly work? And certainly it's not, doesn't fit any of the classical kind of criteria, though the people who made it were, I think, aware of of a lot of those. And that came out of a boldness of vision, not mine. I was very lucky to be attached to it. I think this period has illuminated in sharper contrast because of black lives matter as well as the kind of appalling circumstances that the freelancers have been put under during this time uh, i think it's really illuminated the importance of the gatekeepers making sure that those gates are open and are brave in, in how they keep them open and really look in a much broader way about where these big stories and how these big stories where they're going to come from and how they're going to be told so i Whilst in this moment now, it's very, very difficult, it's very challenging, it's going to be, I think, quite profound how many people fall out of the profession during this period. It's all for nothing if we, the gatekeepers, don't come out of it with more courage in terms of how we make sure that that what we're doing and the, and the stories that are being told and the, and the breadth of the way they're being told is not significantly more expansive in the future. Music is owned by everybody. Every community has you know, has deep roots in music. If you ask, I I read a survey the other day where they asked people around this country whether they thought the arts were important to them. And I think 40% said they were. And then they said, is music important to you? And 92% said it wasn't. (laughs) Okay, it's a weigh-in for everyone.
0: For more information about the National Theatre, go to nationaltheatre.org.uk where you can also find full details of the National Theatre's streamed offerings. And to find out more about the Genesis Foundation and its partners, please visit genesisfoundation.org.uk. To listen to more episodes in the Genesis Foundation's Artistic Minds podcast series, do subscribe and do consider leaving Artistic Minds a review. And do look out for another Artistic Minds episode very soon.